Welcome to The Dreaming. I'm Joe Fulgham. I'm Sasha Smulders. This is The Sandman, Issue 28, Season of Mists, Epilogue. In which we bid farewell to absent friends, lost loves, old gods, and the season of mists, and in which we give the devil his due. Which was the odd toast that Hobgadling gave just before Morpheus headed off to hell early on in this. Oh. Yeah. Remember? I forgot about that. To absent friends, lost loves, old gods, and the season of mists, and may each and every one of us always give the devil his due. (laughs) That was the toast that Hobgadling gave in Dream. I forgot all about that. We've got the cover here. It's acrylic on photography, color Xeroxography, and it's actually beaten copper around the edges. Uh, Neil Mm. noted that it didn't exactly turn out to look exactly right when they printed it, at least the first time. I'm not sure if he's happy with these later reproductions. And the Sandman annotation says to note the four characters in the lower right. They are Chinese characters and mean uh, new, life, baby, and child, and... The third and fourth, they say, together are meant to read baby, and all four together mean newborn. Hmm. So it's the the Chinese words for newborn. So we're looking at the rebirth of Nada here. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another great cover. And then, yeah, obviously that Sandman behind her, Mm -hmm. he has the same hair that he has when he's in scenes with her. Yeah. A nice one. I like Mm -hmm. it. Let's head to the uh, inside. We start in my favorite place, hell. Without a house in the opening Mm. bit. It's them coming back to their home, I guess. They got a weird anglerfish-looking rock or something. Yeah. And it looks like Karanzan is uh, in that group Mm -hmm. that's coming there. Yeah. And we get to hear from Remiel as he talks kind of incessantly to Duma, the fallen angel of silence. Yeah, he wants uh, Duma to talk, but Duma... Doesn't uh, doesn't want to talk. He was just lounging. Meh, not gonna talk. <laughs> like a little bit of the way that Duma is not talking and that it's starting to bother Remiel makes me feel like this angel of silence who was all of the positive aspects of silence, maybe now is going to be tormenting with silence. Oh. Like Remiel, this is the beginning of Remiel just losing it because Duma will not say a word. Yeah. Remiel keeps bringing it up. Why do you not speak, eh? You're no longer the angel of silence. Even now another stands in your place in the Silver City. Well, say something. They want Duma to talk, but Duma still won't do it. And I'm like, maybe that's because it bugs him and that's his job now. Maybe. Mm. Now, also, I've noticed on these pages with the angels, they feature a lot of roses. And I don't think Mm -hmm. they're featured anywhere else in the story, but specifically on the pages with these angels. Yeah, and I think it's around them. I think it's probably the, the beauty and the thorn Mm. metaphor that roses are beautiful but they have the thorns yeah well we'll pay attention to that we certainly see thorns quite a bit there's a the line of thorns in that one inset when it shows the tower on page two and we've got a lot of pokey stuff all around and these roses certainly have thorns Mm -hmm. every rose has its thorn not everyone they have thornless roses now do they yeah oh i didn't know that and then we go to the dreaming as Dream 
waits kind of impatiently. Mm-hmm. Checks his hourglass. Like he's obviously fidgeting. He's nervous. Yeah. And well, he should be. Yeah. And here we have the credits page. Neil Gaiman writer, Mike Dringenberg, penciler, George Pratt, the inker, Daniel Vazo, colorist, Todd Klein, again, the letterer, Lisa Quitney, associate editor, and Karen Berger, the editor. As Nada approaches, Morpheus is presented in his older, darker-skinned self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also wears color. Yeah. In yeah. this form. I'm guessing that's a cultural thing in the same way that John Jones, the Martian Manhunter, saw him as a giant flaming skull, which certainly, or a fl- flaming head that had color to it. Her culture saw Morpheus as a m- person of their culture that wore these colors. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. Maybe, yeah. And uh, he speaks first, mm-hmm. says hello, and, and she calls him by his uh, African name, Kaikul? Kaikul, I think. Kaikul. That's how I'm pronouncing it anyway. Kaikul Dreamlord. And there are some more Chinese characters showing up in the artwork in the background. The Sandman Annotations isn't exactly sure what this is supposed to mean. They have a few theories in there. I don't know either. Uh, But on panel five, the Chinese characters mean uh, lake and dragon, although it's not very accurately written, and painting. I have a theory about the two birds. Mm -hmm. It's the before and after of the bird that brought her the seed that allowed her to go into the dreaming. Remember there was the story about- The weaver bird. Yeah, the weaver bird who was one color and then he had to fly to the place that was on fire. Okay. and And the seed was on fire and so it blackened his feathers. Oh, that's possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And those could be, well, those aren't flaming berries. No, it could be the same bird pictured. I thought it was a raven and a stork, but they could be the same. Yeah, I don't know. And a very awkward conversation. <laughs> yes, begins. wonderfully portrayed. I was very hungry for the first few thousand years, but after that I grew used to the hunger, and it ceased to concern me as it once did. <laughs> so good. And then they both try to talk at the same time. No, you first. <laughs> yeah. I think you have something to say to me. His apology, his not-pology. <sighs> Worst apology ever. Yeah, if you want a, a lesson on how to not apologize, this is it. Mm-hmm. And quite rightfully on the next page over, she gives it to him. 10,000 years ago, I, I condemned you to hell. I now think, I think I might have acted wrongly. I think perhaps I should apologize. I should tell you that I am sorry. You think you may have acted wrongly? You think perhaps you'll apologize? You think? (laughs) And now what? You expect me to accept that? To say no more? One half-hearted apology and you somehow kissed it all better? I spent 10,000 years in hell. I could scarcely stand in that oubliette. I burned by day and froze by night. Glass shards cut my flesh. I starved and hurt and wept and waited. All that because of you. And you think perhaps you should apologize. You, you make me sick. And then she slaps him. Uh, An oubliette that she mentions Mm -hmm. uh, comes from the French. It means uh, forgotten and small. The et meaning small, so like little forgotten. And it means a hidden prison, a place where somebody would throw somebody to be forgotten. Mm, Quite the word choice there. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, she slaps him real good. I, I, I believe I gave a little whoop when I read this first time. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of waiting whoop. for it. He gets his back up. He doesn't like this at first and starts with his proclamations that he does, especially the here at the heart of the dreaming. Hmm. I should, I, I ought to. Yes. What will you do to me, dream lord? Send me back to hell? No. And then a real apology. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, it's still not as good as it should be. But it's, I, this one at least he means and seems to be open and admitting what he did wrong mm-hmm. without any kind of caveats added to it. There's nothing else I can say. And I guess after all of this, she still loves him. This is one of those, this is part of the problem, despite <laughs> all of it, that there's this like fantasy level love between the two of them. So she kisses him and accepts it. Well, I mean, what more is she supposed to say? Yeah. I, what can she do? Say, no, I'm not going to take it. And then go nowhere yeah i guess she kind of has to it's terrible that she has to but say la mort say la mort that's got to be a saying right probably so she accepts and he again offers that she could stay with him and be his queen and she declines once more she hasn't changed her mind and she notes he could give all this up mm-hmm. and he hasn't changed his answer either he has his responsibilities and he cannot abandon them And so, since he can't leave the dreaming and she doesn't want to stick around, they're going to need to talk about uh, what happens next. And then we get a very suspicious-looking Lord Susano Onomakoto. Mm -hmm. He looks very suspicious. Making his way out of Dream's castle. I love the look on his face as Dream catches him about to leave. Mm -hmm. Would you leave my palace without saying goodbye? You surprise me. (laughs) Let's look in his face. Yeah, I can see his eyes popping out of his head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we know why, because another page over. We find out that it's Loki. Oh, he just looks so deviously happy in that shot of him you in the kimono. Yes. Yeah. I love it. His hair is just flowing upwards. Like it's just yeah. no gravity. It's Well, Loki easy, is a fire god. Easy breezy beautiful cover deity. Yeah. He's Cover a North he's a fire god, so having him with fiery presentation is quite apt like mm. that. So that that's pretty much a choice with him, I think, is to have his hair reminiscent of his fire aspect for sure. Mm-hmm. And he points out when it happened. He said when he asks why Susanna Onomakoto, he says because he was standing next to me while everyone was watching you and Azazel, and because I don't like storm gods, I don't know why not. I just don't. They rub me the wrong way. Yeah, I wonder why not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Does that mean that he switched their appearances? Yeah, he must have made Susanna Onomakoto look like him, and him look like Susanna Onomakoto. Uh huh. And then I guess that that was was that when the outburst happened, or it happened a little later. Remember, we had Loki say, "No, you do not understand. This is wrong." Last uh, last issue, and then Thor punched him and knocked him out. And that was Susanna Ono right. saying that. Yeah. Yes, yes, he was trying to explain. No, I'm not Loki. I'm Susanna Ono Makoto. That is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny that Loki tried this after saying, oh, we can't we can't fool Dream here, mm-hmm. which makes me think maybe he didn't think that was true. He just went, I'm not going to gain anything by fooling Dream here because you're just going to take me back. So I'm going to fool you instead. 
Yeah, maybe. Or maybe it was he doesn't really have to fool Dream. Or, or okay. Yeah, that's true. It's more like, okay, yeah. so he, they're not going to fool Dream about the one big super important thing that Dream is needing to work on, right? This little side thing, he might be able to fool him on. But like the main event, what happens to hell, he's not going to fool him on that. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And he almost got away with this one, too. Well, I think he thinks he did. I'm pretty... My feeling is that he didn't even fool Dream probably early on. That he knew that it was Susanna Onomakota that that was happening to, but didn't know what to do about it at the time. Mm. Was just like, oh, uh, gonna have to get that back and <laughs> catch Loki when I'm dealt with all this other stuff. Mm. Now, instead of immediately sending Loki back to his horrible snake pit, they strike up a deal. And yeah. uh, and he decides to send a dream version of Loki mm-hmm. to hang out down there. I just have a question. Yeah. Is he going to make um, a dream version of Loki's wife? <laughs> or is she going to keep having to do that horrible job while starving with a dream version of Loki who is still probably going to yell mean things at her? Yeah, that is a, that is a great question. Yeah. We will have to ask Neil. Maybe I'll tweet him about that. That poor woman being tortured for Can, no reason. Dear Neil. Please write the short story where Dream shows up to free Susanna Onomakoto and put a Dream being in Loki's place and have him go, okay, I'll put a Dream you in your place. And hey, Snake, you can get some time off too. Yeah. And then he takes that poor woman. Yes. And he sends her to Beverly Hills. Yeah. And puts her into Alicia Silverstone's life and just lets her do that. And, and that's her new life. And hold a bowl over Alicia Silverstone's head so that no poison drops into her face? No, she, she's oh. going to be fabulously wealthy like Valley Girl and just be happy. And like that's the immediate thought of like what would be like a, a dream situation for someone in the 90s. Maybe that's not her thing. Maybe she wants to live out in the frozen steps. I mean, she Maybe. is Maybe. She is married to a Norse son of the Frost Giants. Sure. So she might like roughing it. Yeah, she might also... Want to be a valley girl. I, yeah, we should ask her what she wants. That's mm-hmm. what should happen. I just Nobody don't wanna... should tell her where she needs to go. Mm-hmm. Dream should say, hey, where where would you like to go? And then take her there. Yeah, but maybe she hasn't heard about being a valley girl yet. Okay. You need to tell her. So Dream will give her a dream, letting her know all of her options. Just sit her and... down and let her watch Clueless. Well, he can just have her fall asleep and dream of all the things. Oh, yeah. And then go, which one do you want? Oh, it'll be the first time she's slept in like a millennium. Right. It'll be great. Good for her. Anyway, probably instead <laughs> she's just down there picking up poison from a fake god. Yeah, probably. <sighs> but Loki will be in Dream's debt. Mm-hmm. And he understands. Very well, Loki. Let us talk. And this is a man not afraid to go full grovel. He is down there on it. He's on his knees and his elbows. Well, I wonder how trustworthy Loki is. You think he's down there like tying up, like ready to tie Dream shoelaces together? No, no. I mean. <laughs> he says no so he can run away. <laughs> well, okay. Of all the people to have in your debt, do you really want it to be the Prince of Lies, Loki? <laughs> the lie smith? The trickster? Yeah. I. But then again, maybe Dream is exactly the kind of person to have that kind of person to work for them mm-hmm. yeah interesting though next up we have the fairy siblings yeah love them 
This is a great little scene. Oh, I love it so much. Cloracan is is contemplating one night stands. Yeah, because of Senefero. Yeah, his hookup. And he's, you know, he just feels like he's too old to have one night stands now. It's not really a thing he does anymore. And he's worried if his uh, if his new buddy is actually going to write him back, you know? <laughs> and Nuala says, could you read it if he did? Hmm. Dearest Clerican, Falcon, Squiggly Line, I, Little Man Holding a Flail, Jug, Squiggle Beetle. I see what you mean. <laughs> and then Dream appears. We learn here as they say goodbye. Oh, um, when we gave Nuala to you as a gift, that was not in exchange for hell. You just get to keep her. And the lady insists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it becomes like a diplomatic thing, just to sum up what happens over these next few pages, is that it's it would be diplomatically improper to refuse this gift of a sentient being. Which we've learned now that definitely in the fairy court, no-take-backsies is a thing. Yeah. yeah. No-take-backsies. Yep. And so Dream eventually says, okay, I will find some living quarters for her somewhere out of the way. But he dislikes little magics like her glamour and takes it off and we get to see what Nuala actually looks like. Mm-hmm. She looks a little shorter. Yep. She's got big pointy ears. Mm-hmm. And frazzled hair and doesn't have the big bustiness and, and curviness that she had been projecting earlier. Sure. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with it. I, I agree, but it's it doesn't, she doesn't appear to be happy that way. And Clorican kind of makes fun of her. Hmm. <laughs> I'd almost forgotten what your natural face looked like. They're there, last. Don't cry. As if that's actually his natural face. Oh, it is absolutely not his natural face. Mm. I think that's what we're learning in this scene as well. Mm-hmm. Right? That Cloracan is so full of himself that his glamour makes himself look tall and beautiful and stunning and with a winning smile. But who knows what he really looks like? Mm-hmm. The fairies are all full of lies. Yep. Yeah. Loki's not the only trickster here. Nope. Everybody's vain. And then Nada says she's ready. Yeah, she's ready to go. I like this turn here where Claire kind of saying, there, there, last, don't cry. And then it's Kai Kool, I am ready. And you have different colors on either side of Morpheus. And I almost feel like because he is so massively kind of powerful, right, that he can at times project himself into multiple places at the same time, mm. right? That. He can be talking to Nuala as he's talking to Nada or be somewhere else that Nada walks in on him and she doesn't see Clerican and Nuala. So that this is almost a move to the scene where now they are and they're because you don't see the, the fairies at all in this next scene. So it feels to me like we're almost shifting Dream's viewpoint to another location entirely. That's how he just talked to... Loki as Susanna Onomakoto after he was talking to Nada, having a, a conversation with her. He's actually in all of these places kind of at the same time. I can take that. Yeah. That's it's what if it's all I get out of that one little panel and just out of out of how these scenes kind of seem to flow together. That he might leave these scenes, but when he does, he's not just walking from a room to another room. He that if we were filming this the camera would spin around him and then all of a sudden he'd be in a different room. Mm. Mm-hmm. Even even though he wouldn't seem to change. Yeah. Yeah. 
Cool. And so in this conversation, it's interesting. It's kind of a back and forth between the two of them reassuring each other. Mm-hmm. So at first it's, you know, will you not wait? And and she's the one saying, I'm not afraid, you know, that she's made her mind up. Uh, she's taking the second of the choices. So mm. I don't know what the first choice was. I think the first was her just dying. Just being dead and moving on to whatever death means Mm -hmm. for her. And so the second choice, as we learn, is reincarnation. She gets to live a new life. And she wants to know if Dream will remember her. And he says that he will, but then she wants to know if she will know that. Mm -hmm. And he he says that she can't, but, but he definitely will. He will know. And I will not forget you, Nada. Live a good life. You will always be welcome in the dreaming, whatsoever body you wear. Farewell. And it's very subtle, but this baby is wrapped in a blue blanket, traditional for a boy, and you can just kind of see the hinting of the artist having a little baby wiener down there in the bottom of the the first panel that Nada is being reborn Mm -hmm. as... A young boy in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Which would mean, if this is 1990, mm-hmm. this 26-year-old boy now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Time for a story, Neil. And our next destination is Perth in Western Australia. Yeah, we get to catch up on Lucifer. Old Lucy <laughs> at the beach. He's sitting on the beach about to watch the sunset, and an old guy comes along with a pretty sad little life tale but he loves the sunsets yeah he's talking about how beautiful the sun is meanwhile he's just kind of unloading all of his life's trauma yeah i wonder if he can kind of tell you know like who he's come upon um maybe you mean that he knows it's lucifer i don't know he he calls him a palm so it's be we we've kind of established i think that this is kind of a david bowie version of lucifer Mm -hmm. he certainly even in this looks a lot like david bowie he calls him a palm, which is slang for uh, a Brit. So he's identifying him as, you know, a visitor to Australia and mm-hmm. is now trying to tell these this young Brit something about life, mm-hmm. sharing his own sad tale. And also, if you're all on your own, man, you get a chance to tell somebody stuff, you tell them stuff. Oh, yeah. I've definitely found myself in like long conversations with older folks sometimes where you're just like, whoa, has like an hour gone by? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. You know, you don't work in an office environment anymore. You don't go out for lunch with people all that much. You mm-hmm. don't get that social back and forth of sharing your stories all that often. Mm-hmm. And then you meet somebody who's sitting on the beach and they're interested in meeting somebody new. You would hope that that's why they would be traveling. And so you start sharing your story back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. He's got a little bit there where he... Kind of does some slut shaming, right, on that first bit. I'll tell you this for free. Any kid who tried bathing topless around here 20 years ago, uh, we'd have said she was no better than she should be. And Lucifer gets a little, uh, really, do tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the little response is good. It's because Lucifer loves sluts. Of course he does. Uh, he loves freedom, right? I mm-hmm. think that's the big thing about Lucifer. That's why he rebelled, at least especially in this version of him that it was freedom and not being told what to do. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like he's walked away because he found out 
well, even everything I did as part of my rebellion to be free was part of this big stupid plan. So I can't even truly be free in rebelling. So I'm just walking away. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so he apparently had a, a wife and mm-hmm. twin boys, and they would come to the beach all the time. And then when the boys got older, one of them died in Vietnam. I have to assume that was the war. Yeah. Probably? I'm oh. guessing the Vietnam War, yeah. And so then the other brother and him uh, apparently got drunk and got in a car accident after hearing about it. Yeah. And while the father survived, the other son didn't survive. So it must have been like very close to each other, like losing both of your sons yeah. traumatically like that. Yeah. And then later his wife got breast cancer and now it's just him. Mm-hmm. But he still likes the sunsets and next page over with a little begrudgingly. Lucifer admits, all right, he's got a point. The sunsets are bloody marvelous, you old bastard. So I think Lucifer's a little happy with his decision. This is the, if you're wondering how it worked out for him, epilogue. Yeah, Lucifer's fine. He's not coming back anytime soon. He's he's enjoying the sunset. I also find it kind of interesting how this character comes along this older guy character comes along Mm -hmm. to tell him about all the horrendously dramatic things that have happened in his life. And he sits down next to, in particular, Lucifer to tell him these things whilst enjoying this natural beauty and saying that any God who could create this, like who could still be like awful and do all these horrible things to me, could still create this beautiful sunset, a different one every night, you have to respect him. Mm Mm-hmm. And then if you're still here tomorrow night, I'll see you. So he leaves. And I kind of think that when Lucifer says, all right, I admit he's got a point. Sunsets are bloody marvelous, you old bastard. He's talking to God like as if maybe God oh, yeah. sent oh. him that old man to make a point. <laughs> like God, I mean, I don't think the creator is, spends a lot of time actually in this story, but maybe especially looking at kind of the look on his face and those three panels of Lucifer's face where he looks a little grumpy in the first one. Mm -hmm. You know, like at a certain point, he realized like God maybe nudged this old man towards him. Yeah, maybe. Just so he would unload this traumatic story and end it with a, well, even with all that crap, God must be a little bit cool because he made a pretty sunset. Yeah, I'm not sure if God did send that guy, but I I agree with you that he is definitely talking to God at the end there. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we get to see hell and how it's changed. Oh, this is wonderful. Remiel is really adapting and has his plan. I really like the big fuzzy mouth monster who's eaten a person. And there's a whole lineup of people for him to eat now, I see. (laughs) Yes. He's sitting in a swamp. He's got a mouth that's just a circle full of teeth. Uh, I want to know that demon story. Yeah. Looks like a good life sitting in a swamp eating people. Um, um, um. And they line up for you. So you like eating people, huh? How about you eat all the people in the world? Um, um, and you more. don't um, have to get um, out of your bath. Um. Yes, he's got a nice bath to sit in. And again, Remiel is talking about how Duma won't talk and admits I'm only here because of you. Mm. I don't know if he's only there because of Duma because Remiel was going to rebel. 
And yeah. maybe that rebellion was always in him, which is really why he's there. Well, he said he would rebel and not do it, but didn't know where he would go. Then Duma took the key, and then Remiel had to go because Duma was going. He said, I cannot I cannot reject the cup from which my partner has drank or, mm. or, or something along those lines. Mm. And so it was because of Duma. But the way that it's shown there, I think Remiel's in love with Duma. That's a whisper into the ear right there. I am only here because of you. But perhaps it's a blessing. Perhaps it's an opportunity to do good. Has that occurred to you? In this place, every tiny act of goodness, of self-sacrifice or love is magnified and becomes important. There's so much that we can do for them. So much. <laughs> Maybe he's torturing Duma. I, yeah, these two might be torturing each other. Like they might be, you know, corrupted by this key and they just start picking at each other. Duma by never talking, Remiel by never shutting up mm. and by saying things that are going to get into Duma and bother them. I think this is only the beginning of this little story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Remiel explains the difference in the torture in hell now. As uh, somebody is getting their medicine. Mm -hmm. That was the old hell. That was a place of mindless torture and purposeless pain. There will be no more wanton violence, no further suffering inflicted without reason or explanation. We will hurt you, and we are not sorry. But we do not do it to punish you. We do it to redeem you. Because afterward, you'll be a better person. And because we love you. One day, you'll thank us for it. Now, in the panel on the left-hand side, the bottom left-hand side, where mm -hmm. he's floating above the monster, mm -hmm. it because they've made the bottom half of him in shadow, it's almost like you can watch him becoming corrupted yeah. by engaging in this violence, by condoning the violence with mm -hmm. the demon. It's like it's sinking up his body. Yeah, that's about the darkest it's ever been. We can yeah. also notice that whenever it does show their lower body, that they are Ken dolls down there. Mm -hmm. That there is no sexual characteristics there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the tortured person points out. But you don't understand. That makes it worse. That makes it so much worse. <laughs> so now instead of people going to hell and getting tortured... Because they want it, because they feel like they're guilty and they deserve it. Mm -hmm. Instead, now hell is somewhere where people get, there's an end game. Instead mm -hmm. of being tortured because it actually makes you feel better about the bad things you did, you're now going to get tortured because it will eventually redeem you. Yeah. Yeah. That you will pay the price for what you've done so that you will have your sins washed away, I mm. suppose. Yeah. The flames of hell, Ramiel muses, have become refining fires, burning away the dross, leaving purity and repentance and good. Ramiel hears the screams and it smiles. Perhaps it thinks it judged too hastily. After all, this is part of the plan, is it not? Then how could it not be for the best in this, the best of all possible worlds? Perhaps events have ended happily after all. Happily ever after. In hell. Hmm. I would not want to meet that final demon with the fork. Yes. Yes. And uh, all of that last, that last musings of Remiel happens to be in 
Destiny's book. Yeah, in the Garden of Forking Paths, which we saw in Sandman number 21. And he closes the page. He closes the page on it, meaning that this was destined to happen. If we remember, this did happen because Destiny held that family meeting. Mm-hmm. And at the end, he said, it, it doesn't matter, he's going to hell. And then mm-hmm. we get the quote from a book that's in Lucian's Library of Dreams. So this is actually a book that was never written. It's The Man Who Was October, the sequel to The Man Who Was Thursday by G.K. Chesterton. October knew, of course, that the action of turning a page, of ending a chapter or of shutting a book, did not end a tale. Having admitted that, he would also avow that happy endings were never difficult to find. It is simply a matter, he explained to April, of finding a sunny place in a garden where the light is golden and the grass is soft, somewhere to rest, to stop reading, and to be content. Mm. That ties in directly to the idea that if you follow any story long enough, eventually you get to death. Remember that from mm-hmm. 24 Hours, the the uh, waitress at the, the diner? And she said, the, the point in writing happy stories is knowing when to stop. So in this particular comic, if we had stopped after Nada... After Nada's birth, mm-hmm. if we just stopped there, it would have been a happy ending. Mm-hmm. But now we find out we went back to hell and we saw what was going on there. And yeah. maybe it's not as happy of an ending as we thought. It was happy for the angels, but it also makes me feel a little skeezy. So I don't know what kind of ending it is. Yeah, it's a complicated ending. We were saying how not a lot had been accomplished there, like earlier that there had not been a lot of dramatic tension going on because in the end, the presence just showed up and said, I'm taking hell back and these angels have to take it. Mm -hmm. But then with the epilogue, we really saw the outcomes of what happened that might have ripples further down the line. That Dream kind of avoided most of the negative consequences of that decision. Mm -hmm. But... Hell has been forever changed, possibly not for the better. Lucifer is on his own, enjoying his freedom, but enjoying reality, it seems. And Loki owes Morpheus a favor. Mm-hmm. And probably Susanna Onomakoto will owe him a favor as well, but that might be used up by the fact that he let him get taken away. But yeah, it seems like like what Destiny needed from the beginning, he needed a family dinner so that fighting would ensue and death would uh, yell at Dream and convince him that he needed to free Nada from hell. And he needed to free Nada from hell because that would be the thing that would cause Lucifer to abandon hell, which would end up with the angels getting hell. And there was never going to be another option where anyone else got hell. Like, it was always going to be the angels because the creator stepped in and did the hand-wavy thing. It was that destiny, yeah. Yeah, so, like, destiny from the beginning was really setting it up so the angels took hell. Right. But the way that destiny works is destiny is destiny. Mm -hmm. He doesn't make things happen. He just describes things that happen. But in this one time, he was a part of it, and he just kind of fulfilled his part in it. He would have held that dinner no matter what. 
mm-hmm. because he felt because that was the time for the dinner. But because he's destiny, he knows that the reason truly for that dinner was to make this outcome happen. Mm-hmm. I don't think he said, oh, I better have this dinner so this happens. He just he instead was like, well, I do have this dinner mm-hmm. because it makes that happen. So I might as well just have the destiny happen because I am destiny. So here we go. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, it's so complicated and weird. He doesn't skip out of his line. He knows everything that's going to happen. Now, the other huge thing that that is possibly going to happen as Mm. a result of this that we haven't discussed Mm -hmm. is that Loki is no longer trapped. Right. Which means Ragnarok could happen. Yep. Because Loki causes Ragnarok to happen. Yeah. So him being imprisoned is the only thing that's keeping Ragnarok from happening. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into predictions for the next series, which is called A Game of You, I think you said you had a couple of guesses at Dream's bro- lost brother's name. Mm-hmm. I have I have three guesses. Okay, let's They're hear They're not them. all good. I will not confirm or deny any of them. I will just merely respond with how interesting they are. So I'll put them in the order of least likely to most likely. Okay. First off is decay. Oh, okay. I like that. But then we also have death. Yeah. So... I feel like that maybe that's already kind of covered, so mm-hmm. that's why I don't love it. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, my second choice is dare. Ooh, dare. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel isn't represented by any of the other because I was trying to find something that's not represented by the others, mm-hmm. and so dare is about like doing something that scares you, right. which I don't think is is risk taking, which I don't think is technically covered by all the other ones. Mm-hmm. So there's that, and then my third one is devotion. Oh, devotion. So maybe the prodigal is supposed to be representational of <sighs> belief in something, you know, like devotion right. being, yeah, being like having faith, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so those are my guesses. Okay. I might have a new list of guesses oh, for the sure. next episode. Um, I'm not sure, but right now those are my main guesses. Um with devotion being my top choice, I think, so far. Okay, devotion. Yeah. Devotion of the endless. Our next issue is the beginning of a new story arc called A Game of You. We're done with Season of Mists now. This was the epilogue, so we've got everything followed up. It's a brand new story arc. Uh, I believe, let's see, I'll give you a tiny little hint. Okay. It it does actually feature a character from before coming back and being used in this story. We get to we get to visit another human that we've met before, and the story's kind of about them. Another human we've met before. Yeah. And it's called... A Game of You. A Game of You. Yes. It's, it's going to be very difficult for you to guess, so don't worry about being at all accurate. You have no, uh, you have no hints at all, really. A game of you. Yes. Well, now there were the two dead kids. It's not them. No, it's not them. No, okay. they. I don't believe, except for maybe in a background scene, uh, you know, as oh, there they are in that crowd. I don't think they make an appearance in the Sandman again. So. People I would like to have come back would be uh, the two creepy goth sisters. Mm-hmm. I would like to see them come back. But okay. you said a human from the last time. Mm-hmm. Which makes it wouldn't be them because they seem like a package deal. Um, so maybe the... 
drag queen from that house. Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. that's why I want to come back. Okay. Yeah, I don't remember what um, what his name was. Uh, Alv? No, the uh, I can't remember. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Yeah. I'll tell you this: it is one person from that house. Yes. It's one person from that house. Yeah. <gasps> then it's the drag queen. Maybe. It's not. Okay. <gasps> but we're gonna have to find out next episode. You've been dreaming of the Sandman, issue 28, Season of Mists, epilogue. For show notes, visit thedreaming.motivedust.com. Support future episodes at patreon.com slash thedreaming. Like us on Facebook, rate and review us on your favorite podcast app, and please share with your friends. Our theme music is Oneri by Kai Engel. Hear more at kaiengel.bandcamp.com. The Dreaming was recorded in Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, on the unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, Kikate, and tsleil Nations. I'm Joe Fulgham. Thanks for listening. Time to wake up.